Okay, once I get there, I believe it's Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 8. Here we go. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her welfare, her warfare, excuse me, that her warfare is emptied, ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It's good to be here. the same one. Uh, I think it was uh, fighting with itself. Well, it's good to be here this morning with you. I was already at uh, East Randolph this morning at our sister church. I was like that sister that showed up during Christmas, unexpected. They were expecting me, though. Um, last week, Marty helped us to uh, see the agony of Christmas as we are celebrating Advent together as God's people, two churches together, uh, as we look forward to the arrival of God's Son. Uh, we saw the agony of sin last week. This week, We'll look at the assignment of God, the assignment uh, of God in what he does and our assignment in light of what he does. Uh, so if you're like our family, we've been watching some of the World Cup matches over the last few weeks. And uh, it's really funny to me when uh, one team scores and the entire team that is scored upon, they all lift up their hands like, what have you done? You have let the ball pass. You missed your assignment. You didn't block it or you didn't uh, prevent the goal. None of them are like, oh, they were, that team was really lucky to uh, 
to score because it's not very easy to do that. Um, when the U.S., when we played uh, Netherlands last weekend, uh, if you watched some of that game, you, you would have seen that the Dutch team, they were perfect at passing the ball. They knew exactly where their teammate was going. They knew exactly where that ball was to go. And because of that, they knew the assignment. They, they scored a lot of goals against the United States and the United States lost and they are no longer in the World Cup. Uh, and so as it relates to our time, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. If you want to turn there, we're going to see what our assignment is in light of what God's assignment is this Advent season. Where God's assignment is to be faithful and our assignment is to respond in faith. Where God's assignment works perfectly. Ours not always executed well. Let's pray and we'll look at that first section in Luke chapter 1. Father, we thank you as Bruce read that though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God lasts, stands, endures forever. God, thank you for uh, being faithful to yourself, being faithful to your word. God, would you help us to behold marvelous things in your word this morning? Would you be honored in our time together as your sheep hear your voice and respond? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to just read that first paragraph, uh, or actually second paragraph in Luke chapter 1, picking up in verse 5 first, a little bit of context of where we're at. So it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And so we start with this account in the Gospel of Luke with this family. You have Zechariah and you have Elizabeth. Zechariah was a Levite. He was part of the tribe of Levi from the family of Abijah. They were tasked with serving in the temple, as we'll see shortly. His wife Elijah or Elizabeth was from the same family of the Levites, but from the family of Aaron, Moses' brother, if you recall, from the Exodus, the one of the most important, if not the most important, Levitical family. And the text says that these two were righteous and blameless in God's rules and law. Both from the priestly line, they kept God's law very well. They weren't perfect, as we will see, but they are godly people. And we see in the text that their biggest challenge in life is the barrenness of Elizabeth. The text says because she was advanced in years. That's the Bible's kind way of saying she's old. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Although they were blameless, though, they were not blessed in this way. And so accordingly, God's assignment of faithfulness to our agony starts with Zechariah. Zechariah's name means Jehovah has remembered. God remembers his covenant. He fulfills his promises. He fills, fills his assignment. He does something about our agony. And we'll see and look what happens in verse 8. 
Now, while he, this is Zechariah, was serving as priest before God when the division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. We'll stop there for a sec. Zechariah gets his turn to worship in the temple. This doesn't happen every Sunday like it does for us. There were a lot of families. There were 24 Levitical families of this large tribe, and they would all have different functions in the temple and the worship of the people of God. Abijah's family, the family that Zechariah was part of, were the ones that could go and burn incense. And this was something that the Levitical families would do. They would rotate every year they would serve each person for two weeks of the year and so this lot was cast some dice or something like that so that Zechariah could go into the temple and this was a once in a lifetime opportunity this time would never come again for Zechariah and Zechariah is in the temple praying probably praying to God for the people but also praying about his wife's barrenness and this angel appears to him. And naturally, he's troubled. We see in other scripture, a divine visitation leads to fear. Zechariah is surprised. He's anxious. The drama of God's assignment being fulfilled is ratcheting up and is being heightened. And the angel speaks the most repeated command in all of scripture, especially for God's people. Fear not. Do not be afraid. And he says a lot of things will happen. Your prayer is heard. Your wife will have a son. You will call him John. You will have joy. Many rejoice at this. It keeps going. He will be great. He will be filled with the Spirit. He will go before the people like Elijah and make the people ready for the Lord. The angel doesn't say, well, this might happen or this would be nice if it did happen. It says this will happen. When God says something will happen, it will happen. This is what theologians call God's efficacious will. We've talked a lot about vaccines over the last three years, and I am no expert. I'm not going to argue about vaccines, but most people have asked the question at some point, do they work? Are they successful? Are they effective? In other words, are they effectual? I know nothing about vaccines, like I said, but I do know something about God. I know this, that no one ever needs to question if God's will is effective. God's will always produces its desired intent. God's will is always efficacious. God's will always reaches its desired outcome. God never fails his assignment. He knows exactly where to be at the perfect time to bring about his desired outcome. 
And the results of God's assignment, the angel says, is joy and gladness. Characteristic hallmarks of the messianic age that will come after this son, this boy John, will be born. John the baptizer is given a task and the Holy Spirit from the womb. In the Old Testament, normally the Spirit is given for a specific purpose, to maybe give someone power to uh, design something or build something for the temple or over a specific person to lead God's people, maybe as a priest or as a king, as we see in David. But it was never given for one's entire life where John becomes the link between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And Jesus says that there is no one born of man or born of woman who is greater than John the Baptist because of this link that he connects the Old and the New. Where John will come in the power of Elijah, the text says. And Elijah is that Old Testament great prophet who called God's people to, uh, to repentance, who resisted the evil rulers of his time, was faithful to his assignment. And as the Old Testament ended, it was prophesied that an Elijah-like prophet would come before the Messiah, we saw in Isaiah 40. But we also see this in Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you see will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi 4 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Malachi 4 is the last chapter of the Old Testament where John's ministry will be like this Elijah, going before the people, calling God's people to repentance, preparing the way for the Messiah, where God's assignment is faithfulness. Zechariah's assignment is to respond in faith. He's got one job. Let's see what he does in the next section, picking up in verse 18. It says, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at this delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me, to take away my reproach among the people. Zechariah had one job, to trust, to have faith. We all learn about this in the birds and the beavers, right? Like, how will you know your wife will have a child? Go know your wife. 
Zechariah is like every one of us. When we have trouble believing, we are fickle people. We want a sign. When, we, when our family was considering moving to Vermont, I, I really wanted God to give me a sign of what would be His will for our family. And He did share with me some scripture, but I really was hoping that I could just read in the Bible and see, you know, our, our address for Cornerstone Church says it's Bethel, and Bethel's mentioned in the Bible, so uh, it would be nice if He did that, but he didn't. Uh, he needed to use some other uh, circumstances to help. It was easy for Zechariah, though. He's hearing directly from this angel, but Zechariah missed it. The angel responds, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. While you sit here in this temple interceding for God's people, I have seen God face to face. He gave me this message. I came to share it with you. I came to give you good news of a son who will be good news to the people and the good news of the Messiah to come after him. But Zechariah just responds with doubt. When he had one job, he failed his assignment. Zechariah is one of two angels mentioned in the entirety of the Bible. The other is Michael. We see Gabriel in the next section, which we'll see next week when Gabriel visits Mary. But Gabriel's career starts in the book of Daniel. His career is tied to eschatological events, events that look forward to future things to come. The judgment of the world, but also the blessing that God's people receive in the coming Messiah. Those who believe as testimony that God keeps his assignment, his end of the covenant. And so let's assume that Zechariah, he's trying to respond appropriately. I'm old. My wife is advanced in years. If you see, he's being kind to his wife. People like me don't normally have children at our age. But Gabriel's command is for faith, not for doubt. Gabriel has brought good news of great joy to end the agony. Step one was Elijah will come. Step two is that snake crusher from Genesis 3 will come after him. So how you know this will happen? Well, your wife can just get pregnant, or you could just be silent for the next nine months. He chose poorly. Gabriel disciplines Zechariah. Asking questions of God is okay. God doesn't always... Bless us, though, when our questions come apart from faith. Friends, God is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. And so He disciplines those whom He loves. He disciplines Zechariah here. And like a good parent, He's disciplining His child. But children also don't like to be disciplined. And neither do we. And so Zechariah is silenced. And silence has another function other than this discipline that Zechariah experiences. The silence conceals the revelation until the proper time when God's expected Messiah is to come. The crowd doesn't know what is taking place. Nothing is shared by Zechariah of what takes place. He goes home as a mute and goes to be with his wife. 
In our world, children are often seen as a curse. That's why we see that people just terminate pregnancies. In Elizabeth's culture, childlessness, childlessness is seen as a, as a sign of divine punishment because children are a blessing from the Lord. And in verse 24, Elizabeth conceives a child. She says her reproach is no more. Elizabeth's words convey joy. They convey joy and rejoicing of God's people at the conception of this child, but also as a relief. Her shame is gone. Elizabeth, though, never asked, how is this going to be possible? For five months, she kept the news to herself. She remained quiet herself. But God was faithful to his assignment. Her assignment was to have faith. As one commentator said, as God deals with his salvation plan, he is also meeting human needs. John may have a special role for Israel, but the child also met a personal need for his mother, Elizabeth. God fulfills his assignment. Zechariah failed at his. Elizabeth didn't. And John, their son, won't either. We'll skip up to verse 57 because next week we'll look at the announcement of Jesus' birth. And we'll pick back up in John, at John's birth in verse 57. So now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he should be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loose, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout the whole hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And so nine months pass. This boy is born, and the community rejoices. John was a great gift to his parents in their old age, and their blamelessness and their righteousness continue as they take him to be circumcised on the eighth day of his life. Zechariah's name, as I mentioned, means Jehovah has remembered. God didn't forget. He always remembers and fulfills his assignment. Elijah's name means, my God is Yahweh, where Elijah was God's prophet to remind all of Israel, even us, that we are to be God's people. The son's name was not to be Zechariah, that Yahweh has remembered. The son's name was to be John, which means Yahweh has given. God's assignment is to be faithful to himself, even when we don't have faith in response. John is born, and Elizabeth knows the instructions. Zechariah has nine months to write on this tablet to remind her, this is what is going to take place. We will name this boy John. He has learned. He's not making the same mistake twice to not obey and have faith. And so he takes the tablet, and he writes on it, his name is John. God said to do this. I believe, and Zechariah's mouth is opened. Zechariah has learned in nine months of silence that he needs to trust God. He needs to trust God's word and he needs to have faith. He's righteous and blameless, but he is not perfect. But God is, though. 
God is faithful to his assignment. He keeps his word. He is trustworthy. Our assignment is to respond in faith. The crowd was dumbfounded. They laid these things up, though, they say, in their hearts. They stored them up for later use, for reminders when doubts arise. They're probably the people that Luke interviewed as he's writing this gospel account. What really took place at the temple and what really took place at the birth of your son? They store them up as reminders that God keeps his promises. They can trust God moving forward, knowing that he is faithful at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. Where we too, we store up God's word and his actions so that we can have reminders of God's faithfulness ourselves. Where Zechariah would have remembered that an old man and an old woman, there's stories of this in scripture with Abraham and Sarah when their son Isaac was born. Or you learn about this with the prophet or the judge Samson, where his parents were barren as well, and God gave their parents their son Samson. Or even the prophet Samuel, his mother Hannah, where she was barren in her old age as well. And she had their son, Samuel. If Zechariah had stored up God's word, he said, oh, this is not something new that God does for his people. But God has grace on Zechariah. Zechariah, in response, has his first words of blessing and praise, or a benediction, as we see in verse 64. In verse 67, it continues the praise. Like the World Cup team, if you've seen, like when a goal is scored, the entire crowd can't hold back but cheer that their team has scored. And so Zechariah, he belts out a poetic prophecy of praise, which we'll close with this morning. Promised in the garden after the fall, God is faithful to keep his promises. He is faithful to keep his assignment. And our assignment is to look to Jesus, to believe in him, to trust God, because he is God, he is a God who keeps his promises. He deserves our trust. He deserves our worship. So our first response to God's faithfulness we'll see in that first section in verse 67 is that of worship. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So first, our response, as we see as Zechariah's response, is that of worship. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. It's a common phrase of worship in the Old Testament. And particularly, God has visited and redeemed his people. God has visited and redeemed his people like we saw and we see in the Exodus where Moses leads the people out of Egypt. But the Messiah here is the focus of Zechariah. God visited his people. He will redeem his people through Jesus, relieving their agony, conquering their enemies, freeing us to serve God in righteousness and holiness. And this horn is a symbol of strength. It's raised up as the army goes to charge against their enemy or as it's played as the army returns from victory as a symbol of God defeating our enemies. Where God's servant David, we see in the text again, he brings salvation, Jesus, namely, who is in the line and lineage of that King David. So church, this Christmas, the first and foremost response of we seeing God keep his assignment is that of worship. God never fails, so we can praise him for that. The manna who was silent for nine months, he continues. 
He says of God, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. No longer silent himself, Zechariah's words are, God spoke, spoken of by the prophets, promised to deliver his people from their enemies, not foreign domestic, but of our spiritual enemies. Jesus came to deliver us. God shows mercy because he requires his holy, but he re because he remembers rather his holy covenant. He is faithful to his assignment. The covenant with Abraham, the father of many nations, a blessed man to be a blessing to others. That's the covenant they, they should remember. The covenant with David always promised to have a king sitting on the throne forever that will save his people. That's a covenant we can remember. The new covenant, God's promised covenant that he would save and raise dead people to newness of life, that he would turn hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, that he would fill us with his spirit through the promises and forgiveness and grace and mercy that come through Jesus. That's a covenant. God remembers his covenants. He accomplishes them. His covenants are not dependent on his feelings. They're dependent on his character. My feelings change all the time. Ask my kids. I'm really glad, though, that God's feelings don't. All that God does is keeping with his name and his character. God's assignment is to be faithful to himself. And so first, we worship. Second, we trust God's word. And like the crowd, third, we recall what God has wrote in his word by storing it up. These, as we saw in the Gospel of John, are the words of eternal life. Where else shall we go? In our doubts, in our fears, in our shame, in our lack of understanding, God's word remind us that he never fails. He keeps his assignment. And so, friends, we can trust God's word. We can invest time to read it. We can submit to it. We can follow it. We can trust it. Or when God spoke, it happens. Like in Genesis 1, when God said, let there be light, there was light. No one questioned it. It just happened. It's efficacious. Zechariah continues in verse 73. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Fourth, in the Exodus, Moses went to Pharaoh to ask for their deliverance to worship God. We were created to serve God, and in Christ, we are now free to do so. Our works don't make us holy. Zechariah was blameless and righteousness, or righteous, as we saw in the text, but he still sinned. But we can serve God now because of the work that Christ has done for us in holiness and righteousness, where God exchanges our sin and our agony and our shame, and he puts it on Jesus, and he takes Jesus' righteousness and holiness, and he puts it on us. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The fulfilled assignment of God leads us to worship. It leads us to trust His Word. It leads us to live holy and righteous lives. 
And Zechariah praises God for God's son, who will come after Zechariah's son is born, who paves the way for the Messiah. Zechariah now takes some time to bless God for the gift of his son, John, we see in verse 76. It says, And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of sin to his people and the forgiveness of sin. You parents in this room, you know what it's like to hold your newborn child, to look them in the eyes, to say something, to maybe praise God for the gift that this child is, but also speaking a, a word of prayer over them. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You're the forerunner. You will prepare the way for the Messiah. John's preparation of the work of the Messiah is the proclamation and the knowledge of sin, the knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sin. Elijah was to be that faithful prophet. Up against ungodly kings, Israel was oppressed during the time of the Romans when this whole event was taking place. It would continue to be oppressed during the ministry and life of John the Baptist, but also Jesus. Where our deepest plight is not against political oppression, but it's the guilt that we have because of our sin before a holy God. It's our agony. John's message will be that of repentance to the forgiveness of our sins who comes through the Messiah who will come after him. Zechariah needed to repent of his sin, his lack of faith. But what about you and I? What do you need to repent of? Do you trust God's assignment will be completed? We all lack faith, but we can repent and trust in God's Messiah as payment for those sins giving Jesus the agony that we deserved. And those who have faith are forgiven. And this happens, we see in verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is an allusion to Malachi 4.2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out like leaping. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Friends, because of God's tender mercy, God's assignment will come to completion. A people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The dawn of morning is the gift of the Son of God, who will rule and reign forever on the throne of David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Zechariah has seen and understood the assignment of God. When God says he will save his people from their sins by believing the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. He will forgive us. Our assignment, friends, is to have faith, to receive the forgiveness of our sins. God's assignment is to be faithful to himself. But God's faithfulness rests on His name, His character, and His self-existence. God said this in Malachi 3, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. God has one job. He fulfills his assignment. We have one job to have faith 
to believe. The agony ends at the cross. His death, Jesus' death, His burial, His resurrection, where newness of life is imparted to us through the belief in God's assignment on our behalf by sending His Son, who would end up dead on a Roman cross, but He would subsequently rise from the dead. And next week we will look at the announcement of Jesus' arrival. Sometimes, though, if you're like me, it feels like God is not too faithful because He takes a long time to respond. Zechariah and Elizabeth had to wait nine months. And remember, He spoke directly to this angel and He still didn't believe. Probably says a lot about us, right? I haven't spoken to an angel and I still struggle. Israel had to wait almost 500 years from the writing of Malachi till the events that we see in our text this morning. I can barely wait five minutes before I'm ready to give up. God is faithful to his assignment. Our assignment is to respond in faith. And Jesus says, the faith of a mustard seed is sufficient. The smallest seed that the people in Israel would have dealt with, only that amount of faith is needed. John the Baptist's ministry was difficult. He died because he stood up for marriage, getting his head cut off in the process. If life is difficult for us in some sense, it shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said it would happen, right? We saw that in the Gospel of John. But we stick to the plan. Let's be faithful because God is faithful. We get the privilege of helping each other in the process. We aren't alone. We have God's we have God, most importantly, but we also have each other. Zechariah, we see in verse 67, that for a moment he was given the Holy Spirit and he began to prophesy. John the Baptist had the Holy Spirit at conception. We have the Holy Spirit, as Paul says, as a seal or a down payment of the salvation that we receive because of God's faithfulness to his assignment. And so we continue to fight the good fight of faith together. Another way that we help each other is to be faithful is reminding each other of the gospel. Communion is a great way that we do this as a church. We did that last Sunday. We got to do that this morning with the brothers and sisters of East Randolph, where we remember Jesus' body given, His blood shed on the cross for our sins, because God is faithful to keep His promises. Even when we have our doubts, even when we don't remember what He said, He will keep His assignment. And our assignment is to respond in faith. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have given us the gift to believe. As I said, we are fickle. We forget. We fail. We get distracted. But you never do. And so we thank you for that. God, we thank you that your assignment is to do everything in accordance with your name and your character. God, we thank you for sending John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. We thank you for sending the Messiah who would live a perfect life, who would die a substitutionary death, who would rise miraculously of his own accord from the grave to give us newness of life. But God, we 
although we've been delivered from the power of sin, although we've been delivered from the penalty of sin, there is still the presence of sin in us and in this world. And so as we fight our sin and we observe the sin around us, God, we, we thank you for your spirit that dwells within us to remind us of your word hidden in our hearts that we might not sin against you. God, we thank you for your spirit who intercedes for the saints according to the will of God how you lead us and guide us by your word with the help of each other. God, we ask that you would help us to be faithful until we take our last breath. God, we thank you that those who are yours, you hold fast, that no one ever can snatch us out of your hand. That down payment of your spirit is the seal. You will finish in us that which you started. So we thank you and we praise you and we lift up our voice to you as we finish our time in song, worshiping you for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.